I'm Joe Beachboard. And I'm Dr. Dennis Davis. And this is Workplace Strategies Update. Dennis, welcome to the third episode of our video and podcast. Number three. Number three. Number three. Hey, Joe. Made it uh, two more than uh, we expected. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, well, we have a lot today to talk about. We've got quite a bit to talk about. We're going to talk about the workplace uh, strategies update. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we've got a very special guest joining us today. Jim Plunkett. Yeah, Jim, Jim Plunkett, Plunkett, all the way from Washington, D.C. My gonna, hometown. Yeah, gonna. that's right. That's, that's right. my hometown. Guy, you grew up there. Uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about uh, what's been happening since you left. <laughs> yes, quite a bit. It's been a lot. Quite that's, a bit. That's happened. And then, of course, our uh, we have our weekly feature, What's You Drinking? I have my bottle. And I have my bottle as well. So um, a couple of things about the program. First of all, we want to thank everybody, seriously, for joining us uh, for the last couple of episodes. For and, putting up with Joe. Well, yes. And we hope that you will continue uh, to, to join us for these videos. And you can do so either through the video cast or through the, the podcast. And if you're listening to the podcast, we hope that you will subscribe. subscribe. We're going to be available on Spotify as well as on Apple. Apple, right? Yes. And, you know, one of the Four principles. Would you like to relay the four principles of the podcast? Yes. Uh, principle number one is substance. Principle number two is swag. Principle number three is competition. And principle number four is wine. Right. And we're going to talk about all of those throughout the course of the podcast. He too. thought he was going to stump me because I wasn't written in the script. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did do it out of order, but that's okay. You know, that's okay. You know, it's not SSWC. I got them in there. That's I got okay. Them in you there. did get all the words that's in the right, right. spot. That's so, right. So that's good. So, um, you know, one of the things that we always do at Ogletree events is give stuff away. Yes. Right. And um, we're going to do that to both the folks who are participating through the podcast and those who are participating through the video cast. So yes. there's two ways to win. Two ways to win. Two ways to win wine. So therefore, there we get the wine piece in. Yes. Uh, for the video audience, if you stick around at the end of the program, uh, you can win a bottle of wine simply by telling us whether you prefer the story I have to tell about my wine or well, the, the story, story I have to tell about my wine. That's right. Joe, I am going to spank you. No, I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think you better buy a lot of wine because yeah, right. you're going to need to send out um, a lot. So if you're in the video cast, you just stick around till the end, uh, participate in the poll, and then we will randomly select somebody um, who participated, and that person will get a bottle of wine from Dennis. From Joe. And if you're on the, po in the, on the podcast side, uh, we will just simply randomly select somebody who is a subscriber. So make sure that you subscribe. So actually, you could subscribe to the podcast and participate in the poll and give yourself two shots. Of Joe's wine. Of Dennis's wine. That's, a, that's exactly what I was going to say. So um, uh, please do that and, and please join us for future episodes where we will have uh, other great guests and other uh, important information about the Workplace Strategies uh, program. If you haven't yet registered for the program, please do so soon, especially if you want to attend in person because we have a very limited number of seats. As a reminder, the program will be on June 23rd through June 25th, now in Austin, Texas. Right. 
No longer in Chicago. No longer in Chicago. Don't and go there. I, I had to get rid of my tickets already. Don't go there because then you're not going to be able to enjoy the program. But if you come join us in Austin or you participate uh, virtually, you are going to enjoy hearing from Mr. Jim Plunkett. Jim is a shareholder in Ogletree's Washington, D.C. office. He is really sort of our guy on the hill, right? Yeah, he, yeah. he produces a weekly publication called The Beltway Buzz that updates all of our clients on the latest developments in Washington, D.C. and how they're impacting employers. Jim, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Good to see you. Good to see you. So, Jim, you know, we've got a new administration, we've got a new Congress, and Democrats hold the majority across the board for the first time in, I don't know, maybe a dozen years or so. So what legislative measures should employers be watching closely? Sure, Joe. So, you know, Congress and the Democrats uh, in control, they haven't wasted any time, right? Um, they, they got right to work as soon as they all got sworn in and you know, they've recently just passed the the uh, the American Rescue Plan, which is the big COVID uh, economic stimulus relief package. But in terms of the the more granular labor and employment specific uh, pieces of legislation, tops on the list and the the the, the bill that's giving uh, business associations in D.C. the the most heartburn these days is the, the Protecting the Right to Organize Act or the the Pro Act, and this just passed the House uh, la last week. Uh, and I know we've talked about this before at many other Ogletree events, but this bill would really make sweeping changes to federal labor law policy. For example, it would eliminate right to work laws. It would encourage card check uh, organizing. It would impose first contract arbit arbitration. You all are very familiar with uh, California's AB5. Well, it would federalize AB5 and make that the, the law of the land. Uh, it would allow for secondary boycotts. It would expand joint employer liability. And those are just a few of the changes uh, that the PRO Act would, would make. So it's passed the House. It's in the Senate now. And that's where a lot of uh, business lobbyists are, um, are, are turning their, their attention. Besides the PRO Act, we have other pieces of legislation that, that we're watching and we expect to see start to gain some traction in the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, the Equality Act. Uh, which it would enact comprehensive protections for LGBTQ individuals and is a bipartisan bill which has support from the business community. That has passed the House of Representatives as, as well and is waiting for action uh, in, in the Senate. Beyond that, we have bills addressing uh, pregnancy accommodation in, in the workplace, the minimum wage, of course. There's multiple bills uh, addressing uh, immigration, specifically employment-based uh, immigration. But sort of the, the backdrop of all this, guys, is the filibuster, right? And that's what everybody's talking about, is the, the filibuster in the Senate, and is this going to be um, act as a, as a, a block or a, a guard, depending on your, your point of view, to enacting uh, uh, these various bits of, of, of legislation. And you know, right now, the Democrats have the 50 votes, and senators like Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema have said they're not going to vote to get rid of the, the filibuster. And as long as the filibuster stays in place, you know, I don't think any of these bills that I just mentioned uh, uh, stand a very good chance of getting passed in the Senate. Wow. That is a lot going on. So, Jim, let me ask you this. Who are the key players in the new administration on labor policy? 
Sure, Dennis. Dennis. So in D.C., and I've said this before, you know, personnel is policy, right? You know, whoever's in charge, whoever's running these these agencies, they're going to uh, imbue the the regulations and the policies and the enforcement philosophies with their view of 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 uh, how our laws and regulations should be interpreted. So it's hugely important. First, you've got Jenny Yang, and she's uh, running the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, OFCCP. Uh, and Jenny Yang is a veteran of the Obama administration. She was chair of the EEOC. She's a, a, a very skilled uh, plaintiff's attorney. That's her background originally. And uh, she served on President Biden's agency review team. So she has this little bit of the Department of Labor at the OFCCP, but she's really speaks with sort of a bigger bigger microphone on on, on policy issues because of her background and, and expertise. Similarly, you have Sharon Block, who is uh, President Biden's regulatory czar. Uh, she also worked in the Obama Department of Labor and famously was a member of the National Labor Relations Board uh, for a little while until the Supreme Court ruled that she was unconstitutionally appointed. Uh, she's going to be in charge of regulatory policy. So she has this sort of labor and employment background for sure. And then finally, Seth Harris, who is uh, was former uh, deputy secretary of labor and acting secretary of labor under President Obama, is going to be serve as President Biden's deputy assistant to the president for labor and economy. Uh, so he, again, is another uh, Obama era veteran uh, who is lending his policy expertise to this administration and I think is going to have, again, uh, a, a real significant say in the policy developments that we're going to see in the in the coming months. I like the way all those names just roll right off your lips. So uh, I'm glad we have you there watching out. Question for you, what are the primary goals of some of the folks you just named? Sure, so Dennis, like every everything else the last 12 months, you know, the first answer is COVID and, and, and workplace safety. I feel like I've been saying that uh, very frequently that this is gonna be a top priority for whoever's in, in charge, but suffice it to say, that's the case. Uh, we're going to be in this period now, we're going to be seeing things happening uh, uh, very rapidly at, at OSHA. We are expecting an emergency temporary standard in the next coming weeks. Um, and they just issued a national emphasis plan, uh, again, dealing with COVID-19. So workplace safety, particularly through that COVID-19 lens, is, is their, their top priority. I think beyond that, you're going to see an enforcement uh, tick up, of course, COVID-related uh, enforcement. Um, but also enforcement related to uh, to discrimination, pay equity issues, and and low wage workers, uh, and and then finally, I would say just very generally, I think uh, all these labor and employment agencies, whether it's Department of Labor, National Labor Relations Board, or the the EEOC, they're going to generally look to expand the scope of their statutes and regulations to try to um, create a bigger web of of employers who might be covered by those statutes and, 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 and regulations. And similarly, they're going to do the same with, with employees. Uh, so you're, they're going to be looking to uh, uh, make the definition of em employee broader so that uh, folks who might have otherwise been independent contractors or supervisors can come uh, within uh, coverage of the, the, the various federal labor statutes. 
Jim, you know, something that made a lot of news in employment law circles was the president's decision to fire the general counsels of the National Labor Relations Board and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And that was after they refused to resign. And it's my understanding that that's unprecedented, never been done before. And what does that suggest about this administration's approach to regulatory policy? Sure, Joe, I think it suggests two things. The, the first that comes to mind is that labor and employment is, is a, a huge priority for, for this ad administration. Uh, Republicans often get a little bit uncomfortable wading into labor and em employment waters. And you saw the last four years in the, in the Trump administration, it was a lot more of a, a defensive posture, rolling back some regulations um, and, and not as much of a, a, a proactive uh, a posture. And it took them a little while to get going too. Uh, but this shows that that it's a it's a it's a top priority in the, in the panoply of issues that a new the new administration is dealing with. The other thing that it shows is that this administration is going to be really aggressive when it comes to, to to labor and employment policy. They're not going to nibble around the edges and make uh, incremental uh, changes. Uh, they want to make big, significant changes, and they want to make them quickly. If we look a year or two down the road, what are some of those big changes you think that they're looking towards? So I think, and you know, I mentioned this when we were talking about the personnel, there is this uh, sort of uh, Obama president, presidential flavor to, to the administration, and it, it shouldn't be a surprise since the president served as, as President Obama's vice president for, for eight years. And I think for what, if people are looking to see or, or trying to get a sense of what the regulatory landscape might look like, I, I tell them that they should sort of dust off the, the, the regulatory agendas from 2009 to 2017, because that's sort of the, the starting point, I think, of where this administration wants to go. And they want to get there. First, they've got to sort of trim away some of the underbrush of the, the Trump administration, but then they'll, they'll get that baseline at the Obama administration and then 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 move forward. So specifically on issues like independent contractor and joint employer at the Department of Labor, they've already started rolling those regulations back that the, the, the Trump administration you know, took four years uh, to, to, to do. Uh, they're already in the process of, of, of getting rid of those and probably proposing you know, their own versions of, of those re regulations down the road. I think something like overtime, uh, you know, I think the, the Democrats are still uh, upset that their 2016 overtime regulation got held up in, in, in federal court and that um, the Trump administration did their own version that, that um, perhaps didn't go as far as the Democrats would have liked. I think they are, they're gonna sort of dip their toes in, in, in those waters too eventually. So, uh, and, and then finally, the last thing that I would say in this area is pay equity uh, and, and, and pay discrimination writ large in, at DOL and, and EEOC, I think is going to be a, a, a priority. So employers should make sure that their, their pay practices and, and that their, their payroll audit, that they're doing payroll audits and, and um, that they're catching any potential red flags. Now, Jim, this next question is going to require that you look into your crystal ball. All right. So you're going to be leading a discussion uh, in June at Workplace Strategies on national regulatory and legislative developments. Here's the question. What might we know then that we don't know now that's going to guide that session in June? 
Okay. You know, I, I wish I had my uh, my Karnak hat here and, and uh, yes, you know, and, 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 and uh, right. <laughs> it's been hermetically sealed in a mayonnaise <laughs> jar. Um, but right. uh, I think to, to try to answer your question, Dennis, I think, uh, again, uh, personnel is, is so big. And I think I'll, I'll go back to that well one more time. Uh, we still don't have many of the figures, the political figures in, in place. Uh, that that um, that that we'll have uh, in a few weeks or few few months from now, and those are real some really important vacancies. Like we don't even have the Secretary of Labor, even though I said I think we should have one uh, very soon. But uh, positions like the Wage and Hour Administrator, Assistant Secretary for OSHA, I said that how uh, COVID nineteen and workplace safety was going to be so so important. Well, they don't even have that that person in place uh, right now, and I think that by uh, the end of June. You know, I think we might see somebody in, in that position at the NLRB. We might see a new Democratic member uh, at, at, at the board to give uh, the board uh, to two Democrats. Uh, we might see a new uh, Democrat, uh, uh, Democratic general counsel um, at the National Labor Relations Board and also at the, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So those are some really big uh, uh, vacancies to fill. Uh, and I think we'll have at least a few of them filled by by the end of June, and uh, hopefully we'll know a little bit of what uh, uh, those folks' priorities uh, will be uh, going forward. The other thing is that it, it's possible by the end of June that we might have an official regulatory agenda from from the administration. Now they're required to put out the, the regulatory agenda, which is basically a roadmap for the entire federal government's uh, uh, regulatory agenda for for the for the next six months, and that's everybody from the labor and employment agencies to the EPA to Treasury to the State Department, uh, you name it. But it is really a useful guide uh, for policy folks like myself and for employers to get a sense of where the administration is going to be heading on uh, on labor and, and and employment policy matters. So. The end of June um, could be a little bit of a, a, a stretch, uh, but uh, it's possible that we could have that. And then, you know, you don't have to to, to listen to uh, folks like me who are just sort of going off their, their gut or what uh, folks might tell them uh, uh, on the streets of, of Washington, D.C. They can actually look it up for themselves on an official government document. Jim, we always enjoy listening to you, but you uh, you serve on the Workplace Strategies Special Guest Committee, and in that role, you help us identify and invite uh, key guests to be presenters at the program. Uh, you have done a great job this year, and you have somebody that uh, you can now announce that will be able to join us in Austin. Would you share that? Yeah, Joe, so we are delighted that EEOC Commissioner Keith Sonderling, who was appointed by President Trump and confirmed towards the end of the Trump administration, is one of three Republican commissioners on, on the commission. He will be joining us uh, in, in June uh, at, at Workplace Strategies. Uh, his, uh, at least right now, he's uh, intending to appear in person, uh, which, is, which is exciting as well. But we're going to really look forward to uh, hearing what Commissioner Sonderling says. Uh, especially since you know our our conversations just this, these last few minutes have talked so much about issues that that he will be dealing with like pay equity and uh, and and discrimination and pregnancy accommodation. So I think that Commissioner Sonderling is going to be an outstanding guest for us at Workplace Strategies 2021. Standing. Yeah, that's great news, and uh, thank you for making that uh, invite. Uh, and thank you so much. 
Jim, for doing this session with us. I think that was very informative, and I know that our audience is going to enjoy it. So thank you for your time. Good to see you. Thank you, guys. Good to see you, too. Already. Well, that was a fascinating discussion. That was very informative. Jim Plunkett. I I very much look forward to his participation at uh, Workplace Strategies in June. We'll get to see how good his crystal ball works. Yeah, and we'll get to hear from EEOC Commissioner Sonderling. So that is uh, definitely going to be a highlight of the program. Well, now we've reached uh, my favorite portion of the program when we talk about our wines. Mm, Interesting. So um, last week, you mentioned that you were going to enjoy... Gergit Hills. Oh, yes. 2017 Cab. Cab. Yeah, 100% Cab. So tell us about it. It was very good. Uh, We put a couple steaks on the grill, had a big salad, big, big, big salad, and... I'll tell you what, the uh, Gurkhas Hills held up very nicely uh, against that steak. It was very good. Yeah, very smooth, very good. 2017 probably could have aged even a little bit longer. Could have, could have, yeah. but I was eager to try it. Yeah, yeah, well, it's excellent wine. Uh, I had the Raymond One and a Half Acres, which ah. is the first time I've actually tried that wine. It's a it's a blend. Okay. So yours was 100% Cab. Mine was a five-grape blend, mm. so Bordeaux style. And um, it was uh, it was excellent. Very smooth, very mm-hmm. smooth. Sometimes, you know, you're not sure with the blends. You don't want to let them sit quite as long. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was 2015, but uh, outstanding. Both you have outstanding with it? Uh, wines. What you have with it? I had, sp- I had pasta okay. with, with it. And uh, it, Almost was, it spaghetti. was very good. Well, I did. Well, spaghetti is pasta. Yes, it is. Yeah, so but it was spaghetti and it was pasta. Ah, fair so enough. So how you like that? Right. So that is what I had. All right, so uh, what are you going to be drinking uh, this week? Now, before you tell us about that, um, we have to, of course, announce how we're going to give away the swag. Okay. Right? So remember, there's two ways that you can win. One, by subscribing spot on Spotify, Apple, whatever the case may be, and then we'll randomly select one person. The other way is if you're participating in the video cast, you can respond to the poll as to which of the stories about these wines you like. And so that's easy. You can just right now vote for Joe's wine if you like. Or you can vote for the winner. So, uh, Joe, <laughs> this week uh, I'd like to introduce to the group uh, Brown Estates. And uh, I'll tell you uh, what drew me to this. I'm going to have the uh, 2017 Cabernet. And uh, they're best known for their Zinfandels, but I really do like their Cabernets. Uh, but they were the first black-owned, black-operated winery in Napa. And uh, here's what happened. There, there was a, a father. He was a dentist. He was retired. Lived in L.A. Yes. And uh, they bought this old uh, dilapidated piece of property in Napa, fixed it up. Yeah. And before long, they started growing grapes. And before long, they started supplying grapes to other wineries. And then one of them got the bright idea, hey, let's bottle our own wine. So they did. That's a great story. Little, a little winery. Not, people, not many people knew about them. But they got their big break in 2008. What happened? Well, uh, the Barack Obama inauguration, uh-huh. right? Uh, at the inaugural ball, uh, the Brown Estate was served. I believe it was the Zinfandel. And uh, people started to hear about it, and they thought, you know what, that's a good wine. And they just took off. It's a wonderful wine a and a wonderful wine. story and, and a great visit. If you're in Napa, it's a little bit out of the way to get to the actual winery, yes. but it is a it is a terrific stop and should be on anybody's tour. Agreed. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the winning wine. Uh. Um, so this is called uh, Eight Years in the Desert. And uh, this is a wine that was produced by a winemaker by the name of Dave Finney. Uh. Now, um, Dave Finney is 
part of a wine group that's referred to as Orange Swift. You've probably ah. heard of Orange Swift, may not have heard of Dave Finney. Well, and he got his big break, um, not by having his wine served at the White House, as the case with Brown, but in producing a wine called The Prisoner. The Prisoner! That got yes. relatively popular. Yes. And he ended up selling The Prisoner for a gazillion dollars. That was in those days. What's that worth today? Uh, yeah, like three Bitcoin. Ah. Like something like that. Um, and, uh, and so he sold it uh, uh, to the Prisoner Wine Company, mm -hmm. actually, who's now produces Prisoner. And as part of that deal, he agreed that he would not produce a wine similar to the Prisoner, which is a Zinfandel-influenced mm -hmm. wine. You were talking mm -hmm. about Zinfandel mm -hmm. as well. So it's got that big, jammy taste to mm -hmm. it that people really like of the Prisoner. That he had an agreement, a, you know, covenant not to compete of sorts. That's kind of an employment law tie-in, uh, right? A, a covenant not to compete for a period of eight years. And so that period has now expired, and he produces a wine that is similar to The Prisoner, but it's called Eight Years in the Desert. Hmm. And this is the wine you'll want to vote for in the polling right now. Unless you want to win, and you can vote for the Brown Estate Cabernet. Remember, there's two ways that you can win. Just participate in the polling. We're going to randomly select somebody and or Subscribe on Spotify or Apple iTunes, and we will randomly select one folks, one person from that as well. And then Dennis will send you each a bottle of wine. Or Joe. Uh, until then, I'm Joe Beachboard. And I'm Dr. Dennis Davis. And this has been Workplace Strategies Update.